the weekly podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you've decided to join us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. I'd like to read to you from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. You have been raised to life with Christ, so set your heart then on things that are in heaven where Christ sits on the throne at the right side of God. Keep your mind fixed on things there, not on things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is Christ and when he appears, then you too will appear with him and share his glory. It isn't always easy to think about spiritual things. The world is buzzing, demanding our attention. Some may say that we have more leisure time today than our forefathers because of all the advances in technology. I'm not sure this is true. We have many advantages that in fact distract us from our time with God. Christ has left his church instructions to be still, to worship, to break bread together. He gave us these emblems to focus our minds so that we would remember him. The bread reminds us of his body. The juice reminds us of his blood. Together, they remind us of his death on the cross, his great love for us, and his forgiveness of our sins. So let us fix our minds on Christ. Let us remember, as Paul wrote, that our real life is Christ. Let's give him thanks for the new life that is ours. Let's bow our heads. Precious Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be able to come around this table. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for these emblems and what they remind us of the great love that you gave for us. Father, I just pray you be with each and every one of us as we take the cup and the bread and remember that great sacrifice. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Good morning, folks. Uh, Please do look at your bulletins. I'm going to call your attention to something that very seldom ever happens. There's a mistake in the bulletin. So (gasps) I know you're shocked. Uh, front page there, please notice on Wednesday it says no youth groups or adult classes or anything. That's a mistake. Just cross that out. Turn to the next page and you'll see this Wednesday night we start our soup and salad dinners and then Bible study after that. So from 5.30 to 6.30 we serve dinner. So you can come at 6.25 and be served. A little after 6.30 we start cleaning up. But then at 7 o'clock we have Bible study. And we'd love to have you join us for our Bible study. Good thing to start the new year. So please take uh, a note of that. Also, my Sunday school class today, we're going to be starting a new Bible study in the book of, Nehemiah, uh, book of Nehemiah. It's an exciting book in the Old Testament. It really touches a lot of some of the things we are going through today. If you come today, you'll start at the very beginning. Uh, we have handouts for you. We'd love you to come to class. Join us uh, for that uh, new Bible study. Please notice congregational meeting next week. If you have any reports that need in for that, please get those in uh, this week. number of things happening with the kids, so look through this and find out uh, what's going on with the kids there. Please do look over the prayer list. Remember these people in your daily prayers, if you would. We'd certainly appreciate that. Let's take a moment and go to God in silent prayer. Amen. Hey, something's missing up front. I want to appreciate everybody who came out yesterday and, and Monday, uh, Wednesday, and helped us take down the tree and get everything cleaned up. I really appreciate all that effort. Thank you very much. 
Uh, also want to thank everybody that came out to help with Caring Hands. Uh, on the front page of your bulletin, it always gives the Caring Hands statistics. We were able to help 186 families this month, uh, which is really high for the month of January. So there are a lot of people out there in need, so be keeping these folks in your prayers if, if you would. Today I'm beginning a new sermon series. We're going to be talking about uh, preaching through the book of Ruth. Um, the book of Ruth is four chapters long. I'm going to preach on one chapter each week. Now here's the thing. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, so what I'd like you to do, and I had this in last week's bulletin, what I would like you to do is to read ahead for me. So for this week, I, I hope you read chapter one of Ruth. In preparation for next week, read chapter two. It's four chapters long. They are not long chapters. You could probably read the whole four chapters in about 12 to 15 minutes. So, but if you would read ahead of time, because I'm just going to touch on some of the verses. We're not going to read the whole chapter each week. Now, Ruth, Ruth is full of, of slices of life. It's a story of loss. It's a story of heartbreak, of love, of day-to-day -day activities that go on, of hope, of patience. But there's something else in the book of Ruth, and we're going to see this especially as we go through the different chapters, and that is you can notice God working in the background. Sometimes Ruth thinks God's not there at all, or God has forgotten her. I'm sorry, Naomi thinks that, but, but no, God is there. He's working in the background. And what he does in the book of Ruth affects us today. So it's an exciting book as we see God working behind the scenes. Now, there are only two books in the Bible named after women. One is Ruth, the other is uh, Esther, and both of these women were very, very special women. Uh, Ruth is going to inspire us by the things that she did. Uh, she is going to remind us that life is not always easy. There is tragedy that she will have to deal with, and of course we deal with tragedy in our lives at times also. But there's also a love story, a love story between Ruth and a guy named Boaz, and there's also great love we see in the story between Ruth and her mother-in-law. Now that's unusual, isn't it? I mean, mother-in-laws usually get a bad rap. A lot of mother-in-law jokes out there, like the one about the mother-in-law who went to see her son and daughter-in-law, and she went to the house and knocked on the door. Daughter-in-law answered, and she said, oh, mother, great to see you. How long are you staying? And the mother-in-law said, as long as you want me to do, stay, dear. And her daughter-in-law says, oh, you can't even stay for a cup of coffee. So, you know, mother-in-laws get a bad rap. Two guys, Fred and George, are walking down the street, looked across the street, and they saw this older woman being beaten up by three guys. And Fred turns to George and says, George, isn't that your mother-in-law? And he looks and he says, yeah, it is. And he says, well, aren't you going to go help? And he said, no, I think three guys can handle it. <laughs> so there are a lot of jokes, you know, that we tell about mother-in-laws. But... Uh, Ruth was a, uh, had a great mother-in-law in Naomi. Uh, they have a, we're going to see a, a very special bond between the two. They have a, a deep love for each other that grows deeper and deeper and deeper as you read the book. The story of Ruth has a lot for us to learn, and I, I think we'll enjoy it as we go through it. It's not deep, but it's a, it's a fun book and a, I think a good book for us to read. So chapter one this morning is going to teach us that no matter what happens in life, even if what happens isn't good, there's always something good that can come from it. Our story begins with the Jewish family, uh, Elimelech 
Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, ordinary Jewish family, living in the town of Bethlehem. Now you're familiar with Bethlehem because Bethlehem was the a place where David was born, and of course, uh, David's hometown, and Bethlehem was a place where Jesus was born. Bethlehem had always been a small town, but at this period of time, Bethlehem was basically unknown. This is the first time we read about Bethlehem in in the Bible, and it's not a a big city. It's not a well-known place. Uh, So that's where they are from. Now, verse 1 tells us that this family uh, lived during the time of the Judges. Now, the judges ruled Israel after Joshua died and before the kings began to rule. Uh, They ruled for about 355 years. If you remember the book of Judges, uh, the Israelites would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They just ignored God, ignored his commandments. And God would allow a pagan nation to come in and oppress them. And after being oppressed by the Philistines or the Canaanites or whoever for a period of time, they would cry to God and and say, God, come and help us. And God would send them a deliverer. He would send them a judge. And that judge would come and free them. And they would follow God for a few years. Then they would begin sinning again. And you have a cycle. Seven times this happens where they call to God for help and God helps them. And they fall back into sin. They're oppressed again. They call to God and God helps them and sends a judge. So that's the period of the judges. And, and interesting, the very last book in the verse, uh, last verse in the book of Judges says this. It describes this period of time. It describes the period of time where uh, Ruth is, is living and, and Elimelech and his family. And it says this, everyone did what they saw fit. Not as God saw fit, not as God commanded, but everyone did as they saw fit. They simply did what they wanted to do. It really did not matter what God said. So that's when this story takes place, when everyone's doing as they see fit. And we're told this family uh, is living in Bethlehem when this famine hits. Now the indication is that the famine was a rather severe famine and the famine lasted a long time. Many scholars believe that the famine lasted almost for 10 years. So Elimelech uh, and his family decide to do something desperate. Verse 1 says, uh, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, when you first read this, you might not think much about it, because it makes sense, doesn't it? They're having a famine in Bethlehem, and it's interesting because Bethlehem means house of bread, but they're having a famine there, and they need to do something, so they get up and move someplace where they think they can find work and where they may be able to find food. Now, Moab was on the other side of the Dead Sea. These people were a pagan people. They worshiped many gods. One of the gods they uh, worshiped was a god named Chemish. He was also called Moloch. Chemish, it is said, demanded human sacrifice. In fact, in 2 Kings, we read about one of the kings uh, sacrificing uh, his son to this god. Now, the Moabites were longtime enemies of the Israelites. Israel uh, and Moab had fought since the time Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt. The Moabites would cross into their land. They'd have these raiding parties. They would attack their villages, pillage the village, go back into Moab, a, a place of safety. Uh, they did not help the Israelites when they needed help. Uh, they they war, fought with them all the time. 
Now here's the interesting thing. The Moabites were related to the Israelites. They were cousins. Remember back to the story of Lot and how Lot and his family were told to leave Sodom. And as they left, they were told not to turn around. Lot left with his two daughters. They had fiancés, but the fiancés refused to go with them. And as they left, fire from heaven destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember the account. Lot's wife turned around, she looked, and she turned into a pillar of salt. So now, all that is left in Lot's family is Lot and his two daughters. Now, there were these cities on the plains. There were also pagan cities, and, and they were afraid of the people in the city Zor. So they went out, and they lived in a cave. Dad, an older man, and his two daughters. Now, of course, the big thing back then was to have children. Their fiancés had died in Sodom. There were no men around. They were living in a cave. So one day, they did a very sordid thing, and the girls got Dad drunk. And they had relations with him, and they became pregnant. And the son of the youngest daughter was named Amnon, father of the Ammonites. And the son of the oldest daughter was named Moab, the father of the Moabites. So you see, this nation, they were related. Uh, they were cousins. Remember, Lot was Abraham's nephew. So there's relation between these nations, but there's bad blood. God spoke to Moses and had Moses put a curse on the Moabites. In Deuteronomy 23, it says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. That is, they were not allowed to enter into God's presence in the tabernacle, even down to the 10th generation. So Moab was off limits, but they were living during the time of Judges. Everyone did what seemed fit in their own eyes. So Elimelech and his family moved to this pagan nation, Moab. They wanted to find work. They wanted to find food. So they go and they live in an enemy territory. They did as they saw fit. And sometimes when we do as we see fit, it brings problems in our life. And it's going to bring problems in their life. Well, they arrived there. Not long after they arrived, Elimelech died. The father. He's the head of the household. He has two two boys and a wife, and he's gone. So here you have this widow now in this foreign land with two boys. And they stay there evidently around 10 years, and as the, the boys grow and they, they marry, uh, they marry two Moabite girls, that was not allowed. The Israelites were not allowed to marry these foreigners, and yet they married these Moabite girls, Orpha and Ruth. Verse 4 says, after they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. So she's faced tragedy in her life. Less than 10 years after she left Bethlehem, she loses her husband and both her boys. So she finds herself in a foreign country with two daughter-in-laws and no husband and no sons. And she feels as if God has abandoned her. Verse 20 says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. And then she says, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It's interesting how often people blame God for the consequences of their disobedience. They did as they saw fit, not as God had commanded. 
Even in the time of famine, they were not supposed to go into pagan land. They were not supposed to marry pagan women. They were not supposed to do what they did. They did this, and now they blame God for their sins, for what happens. Uh, for, uh, yeah, and we don't know what would have happened if they had stayed in Bethlehem uh, with the famine. Uh, we just don't know, but that would have been obedience to God anyhow. Maybe by this time, maybe Elimelech would have died. Maybe by this time, uh, Naomi would have had grandchildren. We, we just don't know. But she's upset with God now. She's bitter. Uh, and she says to her daughter-in-law, go back home to your country. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Nothing here for me in Moab anymore. It's not my home. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. But you stay here. You need to go back home with your parents. You need to find some Moabite men, get married, have children. Go live a life, basically says that you deserve. You don't deserve the kind of life that I'm going to be living in, in bitterness. And if you think you owe me something as your mother-in-law, you don't, you don't owe me a thing. You have no obligation. Just go home to your parents. Go find another man to marry. She says, if you go with me, suppose I get married and, and I have a couple boys. It's going to be years before you can marry one of those boys. It doesn't make any sense. Just go home and have a better life than what you could possibly have with me. So Naomi takes off. She goes back to Bethlehem basically with nothing. And when she gets to Bethlehem, she tells the people there, call me Mara. And, and the people know what Mara means. Because when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they ran out of water. And then all of a sudden they found this spring of water and they ran to it. But when they got to it, they could not drink it because it was bitter. So they named that spring Mara. So all the Israelites are familiar with this name, Bara, Mara. It means bitterness. The name Naomi means sweet and pleasant. But by, Naomi doesn't think there's anything sweet or pleasant about her life anymore. So she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. My life is bitter. When I left here, I was full. Lord has brought me back empty. She feels empty and bitter. She feels like she is returning to nothing. So she's down in the dumps. And to say she's down in the dumps, that's really a kind of an understatement. Of course, all of us, we all know what it's like to be down in the dumps, don't we? Uh, we know what it's like to be worn out because of circumstances. Longfellow said, in each life, some rain must fall. And what he says is true. We know that, don't we? We don't always have sunny days. In fact, sometimes it starts out sunny, and then it begins to rain, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains. We all have experienced troublesome times, just like Naomi. It might be the death of a loved one, unexpected death, might be something else, a divorce, an illness, an accident, the loss of a job, a fire, a fight with a family member, a fight with friends. Sometimes it's a series of events, one thing after another. Sometimes it seems like the rain in our life is just never going to end. So you know what it feels like. Uh, you know what Naomi was going through. We've all been through that. And, and, and that's not unusual, what we go through, what Naomi went through. All kind of Bible characters we see this happens to. Read the Psalms. Read what, read what David wrote. 
Many of the Psalms that David writes, he's, he's writing in, in a time when he's being chased by his enemies or he's having a problem with his family. Uh, he's, he's desperate and, and he goes to God in prayer. Read about Job. I mean, Job faced so many difficulties and writes about it. Or think about the Israelites in slavery for 400 years. Every year praying to God, deliver us, you know, deliver us. And yet they're there 400 years. Read about the prophet Elijah. Elijah's having a problem with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he runs, and he, and he sits under a tree, and he says to the Lord, you might as well just take my life now. I don't think I need to live any longer. Elijah, this great prophet, ready to give up. Or read about Jacob in the book of Genesis. Remember, Jacob had a favorite son, Joseph, and he gives his favorite son this coat of many colors. One day, Joseph goes out to his brothers who do not like him. They take him, they throw him in a pit, and they sell him then into slavery. And they take his coat, they dip it in the blood of an animal, take it back to dad, take it back to Jacob, and say, your son was killed by an animal. And Jacob is brokenhearted. He, he's sorrowful. And, and Jacob says, I'm going to weep and mourn until the day I die. I will never be consoled. You ever read about Jesus and during his ministry? And, and during his ministry, John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. Now, Herod was the, uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus. He, he prepared the way for Jesus. Not only that, he was Jesus' cousin. And when Jesus gets the news that Herod has beheaded John, he doesn't say anything. He just leaves Judah. He goes to a non-Jewish territory, and he just stays there. He needed time to grieve. He needed time to be alone, to deal with his feelings. Even Jesus, we, do, we need that too. You see, all of us face troublesome times that can be a burden to our souls, that can wear us down. But these are common experiences of life. And that is what Naomi was going through. She had her troubles, and they just kept coming for years and years and years. And she felt like she had nothing. She was empty. She felt like there was nothing good in her life. But she was wrong. She was mistaken about that. And I want you to get this. Even in the worst of times, it is possible to find something good. In Naomi's life, there's something good, and she was missing out on that. And if you read this chapter, or if you read the chapter, you'll know uh, what she was missing out on because she was just focusing on her problems. She was missing out on her daughter-in-law, Ruth. From the very beginning of the story, here in chapter 1, it becomes obvious that Ruth loves Naomi, that Ruth is a special person. She is a gem. Naomi says to her daughter, I'm going back to Bethlehem. There's no reason for you to go back. You go back to your, your parents' home, find a husband, stay here. And then Ruth chapter 1, verse 14 says, and at this they wept again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, said goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now, don't feel like Orpha did anything wrong. She hugged her mother, kissed her. She went back to her parents' home. She did what Ruth, uh, 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 Naomi had told her to do. But picture this. There's Ruth, and, and Naomi says, leave. And Ruth puts her hands around her waist, uh, her arms around her waist, and just clings to her and, and you can see Naomi just trying maybe to push her and say no dear go you know you go back home uh, there's nothing 
for you if you stick with me. Go ahead and leave. But she's clinging to her mother-in-law. She will not leave. Go. And then Ruth speaks some words that have been an inspiration to us all. She says to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now, those are powerful words. Ruth made a commitment to her mother-in-law, a commitment to always be faithful, to always be there for her. Verse 17 says, uh, Ruth says to Naomi, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. Now, of course, we say that differently today. We say, till death do us part. What Ruth said here has become an inspiration for wedding ceremonies. Will you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God, till death do us part. And I think it's an appropriate thing to use in wedding ceremonies. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where you have the first wedding, you have Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and will, the King James says, cleave to his wife. The English Standard Version says, hold tight to his wife. Now, the Hebrew word here in Genesis 2 for cling or hold tight is the same Hebrew word we have in Ruth, where she clung on to her mother-in-law. So these words are a great inspiration for marriage. They're also a great inspiration for friendship. I hope you have a good friend that you can count on, that you can turn to. Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Again, you might find it interesting that this word here, for sticks closer, the Hebrew word here, again, is the exact same word we find in Ruth, where Ruth is clinging on to her mother-in-law. Do you have a friend like that? Are you a friend like that? One that holds tight. One who helps you or one uh, that you or you help others by being that type of friend. You know, we all need friends. And I hope you have friends like that. If you need friends like that, I want to tell you where well, you can get friends like that. And that's right here in the church family. Of course, you're not going to find friends like that if you just come in and you're, you're quiet, you don't talk to anybody, and you just leave. But if you get involved and do different things, you're going to have a friend that you can cling to, and, and they can cling to you. They'll be close to you and can help you. We are to love each other with a brotherly love. We are family. But in our text, the words are used of a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. And here's Naomi. She's down in the dumps. She thinks she has nothing. But she has something. She has Ruth. And that's the way I want you to remember this. Even in the worst of times, there's still possible to find something good. Naomi let her troubles overwhelm her, and therefore she could see nothing good in her life. And that's a mistake. When you're looking around and all you see is trouble, you need to look harder. For somewhere out there, there is something good happening in your life. There may be good people who, who are clinging to you, and you can cling to them. Life is not all bad. There are some good things happening, even during your time of trouble. I really believe that to be true, that in the worst of times, you can still find something good, something to be grateful for. Remember how the uh, song, Count Your Blessing, goes? When upon life's billows, you are tempest-tossed, 
When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. And then, are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. So the song talks about burdens and difficulties. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be disheartened, God is over all. And then the chorus, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Even in the time of trouble, you can find something good. Remember to count your blessings. Now in the weeks to come, we're going to notice how God is working behind the scenes in the life of Ruth and Naomi. And God working behind the scenes in their life makes a difference in our life today. The book of Ruth just isn't put there as an interesting story. It's put there because what happens there makes a difference in our life today. So I hope you'll, hope you'll enjoy the study in the book of Ruth, and I hope you'll read the chapters ahead of time as, as I ask you to do. If you're here this morning as a Christian, understand that God is there. He doesn't promise you a trouble-free life. Not at all. But he promises to be there for you. And he also promises there's a time when there will be no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more difficulties. And you'll be able to gain that because you know Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, uh, you don't have God there with you in your times of trouble the way Christians do. He's there, but not the same. And, and, and you're missing out on the Christian family. And, and you're missing out on the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of heaven. So we want to encourage you. If you need to make that decision to become a Christian, the Bible says you do that through faith that leads you to repent of your sins, confess God, to be baptized into him. That is to be born into his kingdom, born anew. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. And if you need to make that decision, if you come forward, we can take your confession today and baptize you into Christ. And uh, if you're not quite ready to do that, you want to talk about it, see me after the service. And, and we'll talk about when you might be able to. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to join us in person, we meet on Sundays at 845 and 11 a.m. and on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Have a great week.